Hi, friends. This is Episode 8 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. This week, I have for you a special guest, my friend Jordy Sabate. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited Jordy's here. Jordy led the discussion in our community uh, for this session, and I'm so excited he's here. He's incredibly gifted, incredibly talented. Uh, he's a very young man. How old are you, Jordy? I'm 24 years old. 24 years old, yeah. but he's much more mature. I don't know how you're so mature for your age, but incredibly cool. Has been part of the Bible Lab since the very beginning. In fact, he holds the record of being at the Bible Lab more times than I've been at the Bible Lab, <laughs> because when I travel and speak, he's been there. And so I can't wait for you to hear what Jordy um, does with the Bible Lab this week. Um, Jordy, tell tell the people a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What, what are you currently doing? Yeah, I'm a student here at Loma Linda University. I'm doing a master's in orthotics and prosthetics, and I'm about halfway through. Uh, for fun, I used to like working with my hands, but now that I'm in the uh, orthotics program, <laughs> that's what I do for school. So relaxing is pretty much my top priority. Doing anything that doesn't require hand movement. Correct. Exactly. Correct. We don't want carpet tunnel. Exactly. Well, I was just so blessed uh, being able to hear the audio of what took place at the Bible Lab community when you led out. And there were just, there were several moving moments. You start out, I mean, you just kick it off at the, at the beginning with a very interesting personal story uh, about one of your friends. Yeah. I, my first year at college, I met a really great friend and we became quite close and it changed the way that I think about life and death. Looking back at the story that we cover in the Bible Lab, it reminded me so much of this tragedy because Jesus went through something very similar. Yeah, so when people hear this story, uh, you leave a cliffhanger in yeah. there, and I, we just want to warn you, listen, I think it's toward the very end that you actually give us the rest of the story. So don't worry. When it stops you, what happened? What happened to Jordy's friend? Don't worry about it. He comes to it at the end, but you got to listen to the end. Stay tuned. Absolutely. Now, Jordy, this week we talk about the message inside the miracle of when Jesus fed the 5,000, and there is a lot of revolutionary stuff in why did Jesus choose to communicate to his disciples and to the people here this way? But um, tell us a, a little bit about what's to come. What to you was one of the most revolutionary messages um, within this miracle? Right. For me, I'm 24, so most of my Bible stories quite recently were the simplified child stories given to me. Yeah. And I'd always thought that the feeding of the 5,000 was maybe a little on the boy who gave the fish and the loaf, as we're supposed to sacrifice, but mostly for the people who ate. They were hungry and they got fed. Yeah. It was shocking to me to find, as I studied and prepared to give the lesson, that it was nothing to do with that. That was the result of the miracle, but... Yeah. I found out that the reason of the miracle was to show something completely different. And that's what this 
podcast is all about. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Your life's going to be changed because when you see the actual messages that Christ was trying to express through this miracle, I think your life's going to be changed too. So I'm excited for you to be led by Jordy. Sit back, relax, and get ready to be blessed this week at the Bible Lab. Great. Um, I, back way back when, in 2011, uh, I graduated high school and went to Andrews University. Uh, it was, oh, we have some fans here. It was, it was, it was a great school. Um, I had never been that far away from the sphere of influence of my parents. I'd been further geographically, but this was a place with almost no mutual friends or anything. Um, I was alone. And therefore, I made a group of friends that became almost like family, especially one friend. Um, we spent a lot of time together. We, every afternoon after class, he'd come to my dorm room. He lived off campus with his brother. Um, every Saturday, we'd go. Um, he didn't have a meal plan, so I'd pay for his meals. Maybe that's why he'd hang out with me. But uh, we spent day in, day out. Every day I would see this kid. Um, and maybe about six months after the school year started, um, he got, uh, we, it was a Saturday. It was the day before finals. I mean, the, the weekend before finals. And we were supposed to hang out like usual. I was waiting for him to go to the cafeteria, and he didn't show up. I called him. No response, texted him, no response, which was unusual. He was always on his phone. Um, and I didn't know what was wrong. I ended up going to the cafeteria without him. A couple hours later, I started getting worried. And then something clicked, some, some little nagging feeling. Because a week before, he'd told me that his parents had gone through or going through a divorce. They had been married for... 28, 29 years, and this was unexpected for him. When you're away from home in college, the one constant you can have is what you can expect when you go back home. And this was broken for him. And he'd come to my room, and he'd expressed, he'd cursed and yelled and cried, and I didn't quite know how to react. Um, but this Saturday, him not replying just worried me. So I called his brother. He, he responded. He didn't know where his, his, he was away from the house, so he didn't know where this, my friend was. And I decided to walk the snowy path all the way to his house. And I knocked on the door, no response. I called him. I heard his phone. And so I peeked through the window, and I found my friend on the floor with what looked like a bottle of pills next to him. I called 911, got him to the hospital. Um, he wasn't responding, he was in a coma. And the day after, Sunday, when everyone was supposed to be studying, I wanted to reach out, I wanted to be with friends, because that's how I react. But no one, no one had the time. Monday came around, 
still in a coma, and it was my first final. Could someone read Matthew 14, 13, and 14? Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat in a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Thank you. So what had Jesus heard that caused him to withdraw? John the Baptist had just been beheaded. He found Correct. out the news. Right. John the Baptist, his cousin, his friend, had just been beheaded. When you're trying to deal with a death in the family, how do you expect people to treat you? Is it an appropriate time for them to bombard you with their needs and requests? I want to comment on the previous. <clears throat> John the Baptist was the only believer Jesus had. Mm -hmm. The disciples had no clue. They were there expecting to be the head servants of the new emperor. John the Baptist was looking forward to a Messiah who was to be the Lamb of God, obviously slain. Yeah. So John was the only person who under, had a clue to Jesus' mission. Furthermore, he was, as you said, blood relative. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Let's back up. After John baptized Jesus, he met the devil after 40 days of fasting. I'm sure the devil thought he could easily overcome him. What a fool. Now, the devil has attacked his family and has attacked his only disciple. So what we have is a acceleration of the great controversy. It has gotten bigger and deeper. <clears throat> and my guess is Jesus is very aware of the brutality of evil he's going to face. Wow. This is not just being attacked personally, but the family is being attacked. The whole system is being attacked. I mean, if a person doesn't need a little space, he sure needed it then. Wow. Thank you. Uh, I think we have a comment. Oh, no. OK, right here. In the sermon today, we were encouraged to show, express our feelings. I did that, exactly that, 22 years ago. I went to the bank, and the clerk said, how are you today? And I decided to express my feelings, and I felt worse. Because the day before, I had, I had lost my daughter in a car accident. Thank you. So how do you respond when tragedy strikes? 
Jesus tried to run away. He tried to find a safe space for him, but he was found out. His reputation preceded him. Verse 14 says that Jesus had compassion and healed their sick. What, what do you think this has to say about Jesus' character? Do you think he was just trying to make his own pain go away? What, what, what thoughts do you have on the fact that Jesus, even when he was hurting, he felt compassion. He, he, he wasn't doing it because they were berating him, but because he loved them. Does anyone have any comments on that? I think that when there's tragedy, if you have a greater purpose, a greater mission, and you know that you, there's something bigger than yourself that you have to tend to, that that will often pull you through. And I think of Christ and his commission and his understanding. Mm -hmm. and, and I believe that they gave him an expanded perspective that even though this was a, an incredible tragedy, this was just part of the waste that would have to happen on the way to salvation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, here in Loma Linda, oh, here in Loma Linda, we have a lot of people who are healthcare professionals and have that same mentality even when personal tragedy affects them. Here we have a comment. Allow me to pursue. The great con <clears throat> controversy is in full force. The enemy had attacked brutally. And while Christ withdrew just to pull himself together, I assume. As these people showed up, who were the subjects of what Satan had done to them, his compassion was for them. But also, he is in this battle for the universe. And he is going to bring healing despite what the enemy has done. The enemy could not bring Christ down despite what he had done. And so he stands up and heals them. I mean, it's an incredible statement of personal strength, an incredible statement of a love that cannot be turned off. Thank you. Yeah. I had not made the connection with the great controversy, but that's... That's very good. Thank you. Um, Matthew 14, 15, uh, Matthew chapter 14. Oh, do you have a comment as well? Yeah, I just wanted to, to uh, agree with the gentleman who, who was just speaking. But mm -hmm. I kind of like the, the scriptural context of what's going on. And for me, the fact that Christ withdrew was very important. Uh, it kind of, maybe because it's what I would have done. Now, I can only assume that I would respond the way he did if others came looking for me for help or, and, and that type of thing. That has happened in my life. But the scriptural context is that he withdrew. I'll kind of hang with that for the moment. Yeah. No, it, it, it definitely shows the human nature of, of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's incredible that when a personal tragedy affects that he actually tried to withdraw I think it's a further um, edification of this class in which we're exploring 
our relationship and what God's character is really like. Being a florist and many of you in the healthcare professions, I deal with death far, far too often. Mm -hmm. I started off in speech pathology and it was interesting. Uh, my mother, I lost her to pancreatic cancer in 2002 and watching her in a four month process become more graceful, not because she was my mother, it just really was who she was. And I don't want this to be a comment on how other people deal with things, but one of the interesting aspects of speech path was dealing with people that had suffered severe strokes or were uh, fighting some type of disease. We had, I, I almost said the profession, but we had different people that going through the stages of grief or dealing with sickness, not only, never moved out of the anger. Not only did they not move out of the anger, we had very Christian people of all different faiths that let loose with profanity that would have uh, let you know sailors blush. And then we have other people that become more graceful and loving. And so I think it shows Christ's nature that he, right. like us, had to get away and regroup. But we have all seen death hit families where a parent or someone that has a child immediately goes to work caring for others. And it shows how truly that 50% of Christ was human that seeing the need, he had compassion, much as we do, even when we need to withdraw. I remember countless times my mother and grandmother dealing with grief themselves and people descending on the house and them saying, but they need to be fed. They need to be fed. And they got in the kitchen and worked. Thank you. There's a comment back there. Uh, until this point, uh, uh, there are two groups. One is follower John the Baptist and also Jesus. That time when John beheaded, a lot of those people we do, we do not know that are the followers of John the Baptist or not. I believe also they are on sorrow. They are on grief. Suddenly they do not know who to follow. They are, John the Baptist baptized them, a lot of them. So I can see that Jesus, even though he drew himself because of that grief, but I can see that he also see the grief of those people who try to follow. Because he knows John was already in prison. They don't know where to follow, and they start to see Jesus. And the news is not just for Jesus. It's a lot of people. Right. That's the reason for that, too. Right. I think we would err to pass by the word compassion too quickly. Uh, all of us know that passion is uh, a selfish excitement, where it can be. Whereas compassion is what Jesus was moved with that led him to see people for who they really are. It's all in the 14th verse. See people for who they are, and then he went to them. There was a mutual identity mm. with the suffering of the people which transcended his own needs and his own suffering, and thus 
He healed them. Um, compassion is a word that I don't think in our uh, common vernacular we use that much. Right. We, we come back to it in some of these Sabbath school lessons and other times of referencing scripture. But compassion, it, it's a word that's difficult to actually define. Um, it has some kind, it, you feel it in your gut, you don't feel it in your head, you don't feel it as an emotional thing only. It's, it's an experience that so, so mutually identifies with the need that your own circumstances uh, fall beneath that uh, priority. So uh, I, I would appeal to us to uh, give a lot of pause to the whole idea of compassion. A whole, a whole lot of things are going on in the world right now that uh, illustrate passion. Even our church, illustrations of passion. And I would appeal that if we're going to serve our Lord, we need to uh, ascertain how can we exhibit compassion. Where's my love it card? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. Yeah. Thank you, Pastor Matthews. Could I have someone read verses 15 and 16? There's one in the back. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote, remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Yeah, give. You give. That's a command. What, what does someone think that means? I had a hard time with this one. Any comments? I mean, if someone told me to feed, no. I, I, I can do this one. I think this relates to your uh, uh, one of the questions, yes or no questions, but whether God gives abundantly, I mean, um, more than we need or not. And I'm convinced that he does. He gives more than we need. Mm -hmm. um, my wife and I have ex that experience um, several times in our lives when we literally pray to God, please stop. We don't know how to handle your blessings. And we pray, God, stop. We don't, we don't know how to manage this situation. But there are also instances in the Bible that to me suggest that God goes beyond the sufficiency. There are two concepts in, in this subject. One is God gives me sufficient or God gives me abundantly or more than I need. Uh, but, you know, there's the divine perception and the human perception. Sometimes we feel that we don't have enough from the him, and we, may, we actually have more than enough. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly. He doesn't say sufficiently. He says abundantly. And in, in, the, in the Hebrew language, that conveys the meaning of um, is, is more than, is, is, is really, really, really abundant. And uh, in, in Genesis 33, uh, Jacob, you, you see, he, he goes to visit his brother after years, 
Esau, and, and Jacob brings goods to him. And he said, I bring all of these flocks and, and, and cattle, and it is for you. And, uh, and Esau responds, hey, brother, I don't need that. I have plenty. And Esau said, I mean, Jacob says, yeah, me too. God has blessed me abundantly. So here, God is blessing two brothers, one of them a follower of God, and the other one not. He's not a follower of God, a true follower anyway. And he blesses both of them abundantly. And I'll finish with this. At the end of the story of what we are reading today, people collected 12 baskets of bread. We'll get there, yeah. <laughs> as, a, as Pastor Rice would say, you are 30 minutes ahead of schedule. <laughs> ahead of your time, that's what he says. Here, we have a comment. Um, I'm sure that uh, Christ did have a, a lot of sorrow for the fact that his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded. And he tended to withdraw to a, a place. But do you think that maybe what this story is trying to teach us, that when we have problems, when we have troubles, when we uh, uh, feel uh, maybe depressed or something, maybe the best thing we can do is, is to serve others as Christ did and demonstrated so well in this story. You have a love it behind you. <laughs> you give. What do you expect the disciples to do with 5,000 people? You give. You know, I, I think I'm actually seeing a lack of comments because it's a little over, oh, okay, there's one. I challenged him. But it's a little overwhelming. Well, what, what this kind of means to me is that it was a teaching moment for him with the, with the disciples. Mm -hmm. Now, what did it just say a, a verse or two back? He had healed the sick. If he had healed sick and they had been seeing all of this and they couldn't trust him to help them feed the people, I mean, that, that's, I think he was kind of showing their, not only a teaching moment, but a, a lack of their trust in him to help them. For those of you who listen to, thank you, by the way. For those of you that listen to the Wednesday warm-up um, that Pastor Ice did, he calls this miracle a, um, a giving, a gift miracle. Um, he, he says that unlike healing the sick, where you are restoring what someone previously had, this is a, multiplicate, a multiplicative uh, where he's actually creating something and giving it. Oh, we have a comment. The disciples were used to Jesus giving. Mm -hmm. He is saying, you give. The function of the disciples was to give. And they, as been said, I think so well, uh, they needed to turn to Christ. And he wanted them to realize their dependence on him. And at this point, they don't have a clue. Right. Right. Oh, there's a question. Let's see. This one's to provoke some thought. If God's blessing you abundantly, and there's others in need, 
and you have what they need, don't you think that maybe God is pushing you and blessing you so that way you can give to others who are in need? I, I think that's a question that, as a church, we should be asking ourselves every day. <laughs> So Jesus didn't give any instructions to his disciples. He said, you give. I can imagine them getting together, huddling up and saying, oh, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we could go to, well, they didn't have In-N-Out or, or any of the fast food. Uh, I think that's the closest one to here. No. Taco Bell is. They, they couldn't go. So the reason that, um, upon reading the commentary, they were saying they need to go because 5,000 people is a lot of people. There wasn't enough infrastructure in that little area to feed that many. So the disciples said, well, let's, let, let, let them go, let them spread out so that they can find enough food to feed all these people. But he said, you give them. So they got together and they said, what do you got? I don't know. Uh, I found a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. No, that, that won't cut it. What do you have? And they went out, and they didn't find anything. I read in the commentaries that some people suggest that this was not a miracle of multiplying, that in fact it was a miracle of, uh, of Jesus allowing people or, or showing them that if they all shared like an agape feast, then they'd have enough. And I don't agree with that. Um, it was, it, in, later in the language, it explicitly says, he multiplied, he broke the bread. Um, so that has been suggested. Um, but, so this, these five loaves, why do you think, well, let's read 17 to 21. We'll actually, oh, Oh, we have a comment here in the front row. I'm a little late in making this comment, but I was checking up on our definitions of disciple and apostle. Mm -hmm. And disciple is not just a follower, but it's a learner. And an apostle is the one that goes out and does the spreading and the dissemination of knowledge. And so I think in this context, when Jesus is um, instructing without too much guidance to go out and give, he's almost preparing them as a bit of foreshadowing for when he will not be there to instruct them on how to go out and to give. Right. Yeah, thank you. Um, one thing that helped for me was saying that, like, removing the religious overtones of all the words and saying, oh, it's not disciple, it's an apprentice. Apprentice, you can really see they are learning the trade. They are learning what to do once they have to move out and do their own thing. So it was a very open-ended question, like you said. Thank you, Rachel. Um, could I have someone read verses 17 to 21? Right back here. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, 
they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. There were about 5,000 men who ate, besides women and children. Thank you. Barley loaves. The Bible isn't specific when it doesn't need to be. Why do you think it specified barley loaves? Barley has historically been food for cattle and sheep and livestock. And back in Bible times, it was considered the food of the poor. Right. It was hardier. It came before wheat. And so barley was the poor man's wheat. I don't know why it specifies barley, but I'm wondering, I conjecture that in light of that, Jesus is actually showing everybody that great things can come from the very poorest and that you give what you have. Yeah. Thank you. We have a comment up here. I think there's something huge going on here. Um, Moses predicted a Messiah who would be like me. And the Jew Pharisees, when they argue with Jesus, would say, well, Moses brought food down from heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, the disciples are going to have to deal with that. And so they watched Jesus with five loaves and two fish feed 5,000. And so John says, our eyes have seen and our hands have held. They saw the food come down. They saw the food being made as evidence that this is the Messiah. This is more than just a miracle. This is a statement of what God is like. Thank you. Oh, we have a question here. I was thinking, suppose I go home and my wife says, how, how was the Sabbath school? And I say, well, there were about 200 men. What would she think? <laughs> I think bread. Bread here in the United States does not have the significance that it has elsewhere, even back then. My parents are from Spain. Um, many times we have family friends that will go to Spain and then they'll come back and my parents will ask them, how was it? How was the trip? And a very common reply, this has not happened once, they said, I am not going to eat bread for another six months because every meal has bread. I love it. We bake bread every day. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a staple in our family and it's a staple back then. Um, it's, it's no coincidence that the Lord's Prayer has give us our day, give us this day our daily bread. Blessing, from what I read from the notes, blessing in Hebrew is actually saying many breads, lots of bread. Um, bread and bread is the basis of food. It is the staple of the society. And barley, as was mentioned before, is the poor man's grain. It's like welfare. 
It is the lowest, the lowest of the low. It was, as you can see in, in Mark, I believe, um, it was a boy um, who was given to it by his mother. And um, it, was, it was as low as it gets, probably salted fish or fresh fish from the day and, and bread. But there's another connection. There, it was written with a story almost in parallel. I'd like to have someone read here 2 Kings 4, 42 to 44. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Second Kings 42 to 44. Perfect, thank you. A man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it, to the, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. Then he said it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Um, if you can indulge me, could I have you guys tell me some similarities between the story of Jesus and Elisha? Barley, Barley yes, big one. Yeah. What else? Leftovers. Leftovers. Yes, that's a big one. Emergency. Uh, emergency. Yeah, there's a need and extra. Disbelief. Almost protesting. Command. That's a very important one as well. It's command. Who? Excuse me. Large crowd. Large crowd. A miracle. Yeah. Any more? I think I think that about sums it up. So we have barley. Both barley ended up with leftovers. Um, there was an emergency, there was a need for this food. Um, there was extra at the end. The disbelief of the, the messenger or the disciples, um, the command to do so, and uh, the large crowd and the miracle. I think there's a few others, but these are the big ones. Um, why do you think this was written to mirror the Elisha story? Like, this was written, um, Matthew has a very deep knowledge of the Old Testament. He references lots of Old Testament. And I don't think this is a coincidence. Um, this was definitely written to mirror that structure. Does anyone have any thoughts as to why it would be mirrored? 
or why Jesus would mirror it. We have one up here. Matthew's gospel was mainly to the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And so he would try and, you know, use something from the Old Testament to say, you know, you saw this back then, you're seeing this now. Right, a corroboration. What do you think Jesus was trying to accomplish with this miracle? Oh, we have a comment back there. Also, I was thinking that since Matthew kind of starts out the book by bringing the gospel into the sort of lineage right, of Jesus time, yeah. and bringing legitimacy to the, you know, Jesus as the Messiah, that further kind of, um, you know, bringing Jesus's acts into the continuity of the Old Testament would be for him like paramount. Right. Who do you think this miracle was for? We have a comment. First, I think it was for the disciples. Mm -hmm. He wanted to build their faith because they would be facing terrible opposition. Second, to all Christians throughout the ages. And third, maybe would have been second, <laughs> to those who were ready to reject Jesus. They would be rejecting him for no good reason because he was providing ample evidence with all these miracles that he was the true Messiah. Nobody else could have done the things that he did. Right, so you said disciples, future disciples, and then the people in the area. We have a comment and then I'll get I to think you. all of the above, because we've been talking about our abundance and often we fail to see the need of others in our abundance and what we have learned by our walk with God. Uh, this mirror is so often Sabbath afternoon. Uh, suddenly there's visitors at the church or something, and what are we going to do? We only have prepared so much food before it became more comfortable to go out and eat on Sabbath. And so we would get in the kitchen and say, you know, and it was a command. Well, go in the kitchen. Well, we don't have enough in the cupboards. Well, put this in the pot and put that. And suddenly everyone had enough and too much. And I did this with a student just about a week ago uh, for graduation. Uh, she had said she wanted to learn floristry. So I brought her in, and we worked, and we worked, and we worked. And so the next day, I said, come back, and I'm going to have you work on another project with me. At the end, she said, I'm tired. I'm ready to go. I've, I've, I've had it. And I said, you can't go. And she said, you're not paying me. I can go. And I said, no, you can't go. I said, here is the container. Here's the materials. Show me what you've learned. And she panicked for a minute. I said, I'm not going to help you. I turned around. And with that, she put together a really nice arrangement. So here the disciples have been with Christ. The crowd has been there. And it was a command to action to learn dependency on God and what God does. We have another comment. 
Yeah, I'm going to go along with that. <clears throat> Christ said, I am the bread of life. And the disciples who were to feed them needed bread. And that's what they were going to be doing. So this was the beginning of their ministry. Right. Yeah, if you read this parable in, uh, or this miracle in, uh, in John, you find that this was actually the high watermark of Jesus' popularity. Um, because if you, if you read that chapter John, in John 6, he begins to divulge clearly the spiritual nature of the Messiah. And that is rejected by those who expected a different Messiah. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, John 6 ends by saying from that point on, many of those who followed him followed him no more. Right. Thank you. And then... Dr. Spande. Um <clears throat> The Hebrews um, had symbols for everything. Uh, for example, the fig tree was a symbol of peace. So every household had a fig tree because it represented peaceful life for them. Wheat and barley represented the good of truth in their culture. So by using barley, God, uh, Jesus is telling the, the group, I'm giving you the good of truth, and I'm giving it to you abundantly. I, I visited the Middle East several countries several times. And uh, as a geologist, I tend to <laughs> uh, look at the landscape and uh, read the Bible in the, uh, you know, with rocks in my mind. And uh, the, uh, Israel is basically it's mostly limestone and uh, basalt rock. You can't grow crops on basalt or limestone. A few trees grow but not barley and wheat. So I, 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 when, I, when I go there, I think, how can God say, um, I'm bringing you to a land where if honey and milk flows abundantly? I don't understand that, unless I think it through the, the, the mind of God, which is, I'm able to do anything to bless you, and I'm going to... Bless your, your land so it's going to produce more than you expect, including barley and wheat, which are the good of truth. Mm -hmm. And I'm giving this to you in, the, in an unexpected place and unexpected abundance. Thank you. If I could have you guys turn your sheets over to the other side. We're running out of time, so I'll have to speed things up. Um, he had leftovers. Now, I like to cook. Um, my girlfriend and I, we like to invite friends over and cook. And I always have leftovers because I'm bad at estimating. Now, is Jesus, did he just, was he just pulling apart and he didn't know how many people they were? No, no. That, there, there's a meaning behind the extra leftovers. Now, uh, someone shout out, how many baskets do they have left over? Twelve. Definitely 12. Why do you think it was 12? 12 disciples? Yeah, um, definitely. As, as has been mentioned before, this miracle, as a child, I thought it was just, oh, 
fed a bunch of people and they were happy and they had a nice full stomach. Like, that's a very transient miracle. I think, as has been said, this was for the disciples. The disciples, he told them, you go, you feed these people, you do this. And they came back empty-handed. They said, we don't know. This is, this is all we have. We have five loaves of barley and a fish. And what did Jesus make them do after they came back empty-handed with nothing is he made them walk down the hill because if he has to preach to a large crowd, it was definitely a hill. He had them walk down the hill, collect baskets full of the stuff, and then come up the hill loaded, full, almost a humiliating, or not humiliating, a humbling experience for these people, for them to say, you know, with God, you have too much. With God, you will be, as Dr. Esperante said, you will be praying, stop, don't give me any more because my basket is too full. Before we close, my friend is okay. He is married and has just gotten his master's in marriage and family therapy. So I'd like you this week to think, what baskets am I holding? What do I have that I have too much? And what do I have that I could give to those who need it? Wow, what an excellent question. And Jordy, what a great study that you let us in. Thank you so much for letting God use you and your talents. Uh, It's so great to have young adults lead out in our church. Now, if you'd like some more information about some of the past or coming episodes, please visit our website, thebiblelab.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. And definitely follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Now, I'm coming back in episode 9, and I hope you join us because in this episode, we're going to see Jesus at a party. And Jesus doing a miracle that says a lot more than you probably ever imagined he was trying to explain in this miracle. So I don't want you to miss out. So join us next week for episode nine. I'm so thankful that you're part of our journey. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.